Okay. So here we are for another Meet the Author. Gary, who do we have today? Well, tomorrow I'm really pleased to introduce to the folks um, Chance Roberts. So Chance, welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. It's uh, I'm looking forward to this. Been looking forward to this for a long time. So. Yeah, right. So the book that you've written, as you can see in my background, is called The Beginner's Guide to the Environmental Health and Safety Profession. So let's start right into it and just ask that first question, who are the readers you are targeting? Yeah, really those new, um, new to or really considering a career in the environmental health and safety profession. Um, and that can be, a, you know, starting from wherever, whether that's, you know, you're in college and there's a, a EHS program there at the college that you're thinking about, or maybe you're further on in a different career field and your company um, asks you to make the switch uh, for maybe, let's just say quality to safety, which we see um, quite a bit sometimes, or or, or something like that. So really just that type of audience that's um, <clears throat> considering or switching to the DHS profession. Ah, good. So usually there's a reason or decision why you wrote, you wrote this guide. Can, so what sort of needs are you trying to fulfill here? Yeah, so um, number one, I, I just, I didn't see anything out there that kind of tied a lot of different aspects together. Um, I got asked quite a bit, hey, um, like, how do you get into EHS? What is it? Um, and so instead of having one kind of all encompassing guide, which I didn't find, I was like, well, there's a need, so maybe I need to write it. Um, so really, this kind of discusses protecting the company from, uh, and, and, personnel, the safety profession from liability, um, the workforce from injuries, uh, fatalities, things like that, and then uh, protecting the environment from um, being harmed. You know, obviously, uh, that's becoming increasingly important. Um, and so I think, and me being a steward of the outdoors, it's something that's very, um, that I'm very passionate about myself is the environment. So. Right. It is a guide for beginners. So I see that in the book, you've, you've covered things like career planning and, of course, plenty of tips and tricks for resume writing, job searching and interviewing. I don't think we need to go into that. If your people are really interested, they can just go ahead and buy your book. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a great chance, though, I could use that or an opportunity to talk about our safety profession you know, at, in, at the bigger picture, maybe from the 10,000 foot level looking down. Because I see that in chapter two, you know, for the person that's weighing career choices, you will lay out what are the most important pros and cons. And number one pro for you is right now, there seems to be an extreme demand and growth opportunities. Can you set, set them like, because I think you keep track of what the current market is like. I know, I know you're based in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. But um, can you share some insights and in what is the current market situation? Yeah, so I think, and this is, you know, from personal experience, I do look, there's a, a for a ton of professionals that I have in the field, um, acquaintances that I've made, um, you know, a lot of times I have at least one that's looking for a new position in some regard. So I'm helping them find a new position or, or doing what I can to help others, uh, maybe some mentees that I mentor, um, things like that. So I'm always looking at those opportunities and, <clears throat> excuse me, really, it seems like companies are really focusing right now on employee health and safety and environment uh, more than they ever have before, in my opinion. Um, and then kind of, you know, 
basing a stack to kind of show that, you know, based on the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, they really estimate that the profession is going to grow around 7% um, from 2020 throughout 2030. Um, and so you think, I think I see um, that trajectory, those those jobs are going to be continuing to grow um, just because the amount of um, awareness, more awareness that we're seeing um, in, in these, uh, in the environmental health and safety world and profession. All right. I'd just like to reach out to the audience and, um, you know, um, chances give an idea of what's happening in the U.S. We have some Canadians on board, like Tanya tomorrow. Are we reflecting those same numbers down the States? Are we seeing a demand as well? Um, you got any insights on that? Tanya, would you have any insights back East if um, looking at the market? No, Tanya's there. Is she coming yeah, in? There yeah. you are. Hi, Tanya. Yeah, hi. Um, well, it's interesting you say that. I mean, the... Um... I was just on a call this morning uh, with somebody who is in the environmental space, and uh, they were quite surprised that we had, oh, Lord, I can't remember the name of the program. It's a, it's not a program, it's a, it's a concept, but overall, to incentivize people to use power off-peak kind of stuff, and and he had uh, described to me that there are a lot of places that have just a flat rate for power consumption and that other places have um, this incentivized structure to be able to use power when it's not most in demand. And I had said, well, I think that's the only, the only concept I know. I think in Ontario, we've had incentivized I mean I can remember even being a little kid like you know don't put the wash in now like put it in you know later on during the during the evening and uh you know running the dishwasher overnight and this kind of thing was was always a thing so um I don't know if that's what you're getting at but I mean that that has been part of the Ontario landscape for as long as I can remember and I can see Tamara shaking her head too so maybe she'd like to weigh in as well we also get different prices at different times. Was that mentioned? Because I'm multitasking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay so. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's true. But um, I'm a money saver. So for me, that's a real incentive is that if I do my, my stuff that's high electricity at a certain time, I can have a lower bill. Yeah. Right. So let me talk to Rosa. I, got you, Hannah, I, was, I was going to ask you a question. What's it like oh, down in California for the? Well, I, I have been. Uh, I, I have a lot of clients looking for safety and health professionals. Ah, that's what I wanted to hear. Okay, yeah. right. But they're they're global. They're positioned. You know, they're not just California. They're right. global. <laughs> Are you seeing a lot of retirements happening down there? I uh, see I, a lot of people tell me they are thinking of retiring and that's tied into my research into the stress levels, the health and stress mm -hmm. levels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that um, it, it's a good time to just hang in there till retirement is a com common comment. Uh, another one is uh, uh, to just, you know, looking for a different position. So because of the great resignation, there, yeah. there's a tremendous amount of movement. Yeah. All right. So, and you know, first, my first question, and and and, and um, chances chapter two 
we talk about the demand side of the safety profession. Now, what you're referring to, Rosa, is the supply side. And you're right, there seems to be a labor shortage, a lot of industries. Now, right now we're experiencing the big tech layoffs, you know, where the big tech companies have just, last number I saw was 65,000 people have been laid off. Most of them, of course, are in IT. I don't know if that's a great sort of like, hey, are you interested in coming and going into the environmental safety and health profession? Maybe they should be buying your book chance and have a look at that. <laughs> Yeah, maybe so. Uh, I, I can, you know, speaking upon labor, I, I, uh, I tend to agree. I think, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more people leave the, the workforce. Um, I agree with Rosa's statements. Um, and I think that's really kind of putting strain on companies. You know, they're, they're having to backfill these certain positions. And a lot of times um, they may not be able to find these candidates or maybe it takes a little bit longer depending on, you know, different reasons. Um, and then that in turn puts strain upon the employees you have, right? Because they're having to cover additional sites, to cover um, additional job responsibilities until that position is backfilled. So uh, it's kind of twofold where, yeah, there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of job opportunities out there, but um, there's definitely, uh, I would say, uh, a shortage of labor or people maybe going through these certain programs or, or in the EHS field. Um, so that's, that's, again, based on personal research, but that's what I've seen. Right. Tomorrow, you got your hand up. Yeah, it's, it's, I just found it um, interesting when you were talking about tech for a moment. Mm -hmm. Right, because I, I was in tech for a short time and it was the only place where, in fact, they would do these hefty hirings, mm -hmm. right? They, they'd load up in the front of the year and then they'd, um, how do I put it? Because they don't, they're not really firing people, their positions are dissolved, mm -hmm. right? Which is a different category. So then they, they offload 60 to 80 people before the, the end of the year. And this was a pattern. And when I asked about it, it's like, well, this is the, our business model. This yeah. is what we do. And it was so deflating for the employees, right? So maybe we need like a, a campaign to come over and join health and safety because we will love you forever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're, you're quite correct. That, that is the IT pattern. It cycles a lot. And the latest things I read about um, what's happened today is that, you know, all those people, 65,000 or whatever, that are just recently laid off, a lot of them were hired just before the pandemic. So what's that thing about um, last in, first out that we see in IT? I don't think I could be wrong. We experience that though in our safety industry with our safety professionals. Um, I, I, I'm not aware of that unless somebody else on, you know, in the audience here is aware of that sort of cycle. I haven't seen that myself though. I haven't really seen that. I worked in the EHS, um, uh, I guess, software side of things for a little while too. Um, and even in the EHS specific software, it's, it's pretty similar to the the mass hirings and then dissolving of, of positions. Well, I mean, obviously that, that depends upon clientele that you gained and that you, you know, hold long-term. Um, but I, I saw that um, firsthand myself. So. All right. Okay. 
So back to the book. Um, you do we have a, have a sorry, list Gary, of we, your pros. Sorry, Gary. We've also a, got a list of cons. <laughs> Why not? Eh? And I see that the ex extreme stress is your number one on your con list. So what other stressors are out there besides that one? Um, I guess examples of, of those, those stressors, um, cyclical up and downs, kind of just like we talked about, right. Um, and the, and the IT world or the, the, uh, software industry. Um, but there's also like oil and gas. That's another cyclical industry, um, that where you, that can put stress upon a person. Um, if the oil price goes down and you're working in, you know, EHS for an oil company, um, some other stressors, just regulatory compliance, um, you know, working through or with OSHA, the EPA, um, some of those state governmental bodies. Um, there's always a potential of a catastrophic, catastrophic event or fatality. That's another stressor. Um, and then constant change, you know, obviously the, the uh, workforce and work not just the workforce in itself, but then the workplace is obviously always uh, continuing to change with technology and things like that. So um, that can also add additional stress. Then um, that's mostly negative stress. And then you've got kind of the, the positive side of where you can really um, motivate or make a difference in a person's life each day, like every day that I go out and go to work that I have a chance to, I know that I'm going to have a chance to uh, make a positive impact on somebody. And so that can be kind of stressful, but I feel like for me, that's a, that's a kind of a positive um, stressor. So. Hey, Gary, I think you're on mute. Peter, your hands up. Go ahead. <laughs> there you go. Uh, hi, how are you? Um, been well since I've been back. Um, they, um, I just make a comment uh, on the job market, all that stuff. So, so I'm in Ontario. Uh, like I'm on LinkedIn and that, and I mean I'm retired and all that stuff, and kind of doing a little bit of consulting here and there and things. But uh, I, with a bunch of groups and all that stuff uh, on the uh, platform, and all that. There's a ton of jobs. I mean, I get, I get. Uh, notices every day for around here for i mean the gta which is for you chance of the greater toronto area so there's ehs jobs coming out of everywhere and anywhere so mm -hmm. i mean in that sense the market up here seems to be uh, or, or in the area seems to be uh quite uh vibrant so um you know and i i think just from my experience I started on the environmental side and then I got the health and safety part of it. So I kind of look at things a little differently in, in the fact that, you know, uh, you know, my first main concern was the uh, environmental side of it. And then uh, when you got the health and safety and, the, and where I work, and you seem to be going into all the ISO stuff. So, you know, lots of experience with incorporating the 14,000 and the 9,000 because they always had quality. So. It was interesting. So when you meld those all together, I mean, because as much as it's health and safety, it's the environmental part too, because they do go together. Mm -hmm. And especially when you start trying to, uh, you know, incorporate them into a, uh, a management system, then, you know, they all get intertwined, right? So right. They, specifically, they don't get kind of chopped up, you know, like, you know, the environmental side coming to the health and safety side. So, I mean, if you want these systems to be vibrant, you have to, you know, they have to be incorporated 
right across the board, right? So, so whether the environmental, you know, your work practices and your health and safety work practices, I mean, so if you're going to have a vibrant system, they all have to intertwine with each other, right? So when you get audited, because they go through all of it, it's training, it's this, it's that, whatever, right? So it's kind of a, it's kind of nice that, you know, if you can get somebody that's multifaceted in the fact that they, that they understand all of it, right? You know, because like I said, uh, you know, there's quite a, there, there's quite a, uh, uh, a connection there. And I don't know if people really realize that, especially when you get into a, you know, a, into a company or to a process or whatever. So, I mean, I was in the tire business. I was in, like, I worked for Goodyear and I worked for Magna up here, the auto industry. And then I ended up uh, in the oil and gas industry at the end. So I've crossed a lot of, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've gone through all of it. Right. So, right. which has been interesting, but I mean, but each, each one's a different, you know, kettle of fish. Right. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, in the tire industry, it was all like, it was more health and safety, but you did, you did have the, the, uh, the environmental component, but I mean, it was so labor intensive when they're making rubber and all that stuff, you know, I mean, like it's, you know, like it's one whole completely different thing as opposed to you go to the oil and gas where, where I finished up and, you know, guys just run machines in that, right? I mean, you just press buttons, right? You're you're looking at dials and you're you know making sure the process runs. So, you know, there, there's a lot. I think I'm not sure if people really realize that uh, the connection and you know, and I guess every time I was hired, I had to do all of it. So I guess it's not like being, you know, you get to some bigger facilities where you have different people that do different things, right? So right. I kind of got, uh, I guess I kind of. Uh, I owned all of it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So. My, my dad worked uh, for Michelin Tire Company for 35 plus years. So uh, well, I, those uh, tire building, uh, uh, I'm 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 connected with you on on that. Yeah, <laughs> that's neat. Yeah. Just 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 back on the um, the point of looking at cons. One of the biggest cons you talk about in your book is a possibility of being a scapegoat. If something major occurs, can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so, and I'm I'm not speaking to a specific company or anything like that. I want to preface by saying that, but um, there have been some times in 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 my career where I've known of or heard of or known the person actually who um, was a scapegoat for a major incident or accident at, at the site. So um, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, you may be directly or indirectly involved as the EHS or HSE manager. Um, but either way, I've seen it to where, um, <clears throat> you know, companies have tried to pin that on the EHS professional. Um, and so it really, um, I guess that it, it has that potential. Okay. So you don't, coming into the field, you don't want to think about that ever happening. Um, but it is something that um, I was taught throughout my, my college program. But I think, uh, you know, some people may not have ever been taught that. Um, so it is a real possibility um, that a company could try to, to pin a certain incident or something on someone. And then kind of, kind of co-joined with that, but separate um, is, when a company kind of views the uh, the person, like the safety person, as having all the EHS responsibility and not kind of, um, um, I guess, inputting the importance of uh, employees owning it as well as supervisors, um, putting in the different 
um, aspects like building in capacities as we'll talk to about, you know, kind of like safety differently, safety two kind of stuff. We'll, I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, but um, you kind of see those companies m saying that the, the EHS professional or the EHS team of two or three people are the ones that oversee all of EHS. And uh, I think that can, can kind of open up um, uh, companies to, to problems and individuals in the profession to, to problems as well. Yeah, good point. Just staying on your book, on chapter four, you start talking about EHS education and training. Uh, my, my feeling is that it, it's supply side quagmire right now. Um, we, we're seeing more universities and colleges offering various degrees and some are accredited and some are not. And what about the school of hard knocks? Hmm. So what's your advice to a beginner or maybe a seasoned tradesperson looking at wanting to make a career in EHS? Yeah, so I, I'm going to first take, the, take, the, take a moment to say um, there's nothing wrong with the school of hard knocks. And in, in fact, there is a lot of uh, benefit to having real experience um, separate from maybe certifications and degrees. All right, I want to preface by saying that. But I also want to highlight the importance, I think, of uh, degree programs, certifications, etc. cetera. Um, I, I essentially think I have um, two different degrees um, in EHS, and they really help me to lay a, a foundation of, of my EHS knowledge. Um, and so I, I'm very um, passionate about those programs. Are they right for everyone in every case? No. Um, you know, I realize that. Um, but I will never discourage anyone from going that route, uh, whether accredited or not. Um, I, you know, there's some good programs that I know of where I've had great professionals that I've worked with that, that didn't come from an accredited uh, safety program. Um, so I, you know, accredited or, or not, I don't, you know, discredit that, uh, that EHS professionals um, uh, college background or anything at all. Um, and I think there's a lot, we have a lot more, um, I guess, openness or exposure, excuse me, to um, different forms of media. So um, there's things like uh, podcasts now, there's things like uh, forums on the internet. Um, I see Alan smiling there. Uh, he got me on his podcast. So shout out to Alan and Diary of a Bullman. But you know, there's, there's things like the hop nerd, which talks about safety uh, second or safety differently. Um, there's companies like um, the safety dojo that are geared towards helping new professionals. There's Safeopedia, you know, um, shout out to you all. Um, and then there's, uh, there's forums like that you can get on and, and really advance your knowledge, like safety nights, um, you know, things like that, where um, that, that I think that are relatively new forms of media that are kind of taking uh, taking off, and they provide a, a, a lot of U.S. like U.S. safety professionals Facebook groups. I mean, there's a ton of different types of, uh, I guess. Uh, not, I don't know what you call non-conventional maybe types of, of media um, that are kind of becoming more the norm and, and learning um, applications as well, so. Yeah, right. In preparing for this uh, Meet the Author session, I did my own personal homework. 
And I started looking at my local colleges and institutions to see what sort of things are they offering. And good example is my, there's a local institution safety program and list a course on accident investigation. And I kind of went through the syllabus and I noticed the references. It describes root cause analysis and references a 1996 and a 2003 book. And my first impression was, yikes, <laughs> really, really old books. And I'm going to ask a question, first to chance. I'm going to open this thing up as well to anybody else here. But are our institutions, are we setting up people to be recipe followers or chefs who know how to think? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and, and I can obviously only speak to my experience um, with, with what I know and the research I've done and the, the college that I attended. So I know like specifically uh, for Southeastern Oklahoma State, my alma mater, um, you know, they, they did take a more traditional safety approach when learning. Again, that was 10 years ago, uh, school. That's crazy for me to say, but you know, <laughs> that was 10 years ago for me. So um, I, you know, I think that, um, I don't wanna say every, but most programs will go through where they review um, their, their uh, material that they're using for these classes and, and try to update, you know, as, as they see fit. But um, I do think that we're seeing a lot more kind of safety to um, hop kind of human and organizational performance type things. Um, we're seeing that kind of shift. And I saw in, in, in at Southeastern, um, we didn't have any like um, specific classes that were titled these things, but a lot of the professors that taught there, they were teaching aspects of this. They just, there wasn't just like a collective thought that it was like termed, you know, that, that thing, but they talked about building capacity in, into um, your situations. Um, and, you know, they, again, they, they sprinkled these ideas uh, across what they taught, um, but there wasn't a formalized, like specific class to human and organizational performance or anything like that. Now, again, you know, so I would say probably, there's probably some universities out there that, that have those now. Um, but, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's as, um, uh, I guess, quote unquote mainstream, um, as it should be yet. So. Right. <clears throat> Tamara, got your hand up. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's interesting, you know, coming from a social work background, um, our degree in social work, one of the things that we learned there, which I think could be so important in the health and safety curriculum is group dynamics and managing people skills. And I see Rosa bouncing her head at that. What are your, and I also wanted to bring in also in the chat, there was discussion about adding to our curriculum in health and safety, also business so that we understand how to demonstrate. Gabe was saying, being able to demonstrate the value to business. So I wanted to, to put that out there too. Like, what are people's thoughts on that? Rosa, why don't you kick it off? Well, uh, I think a couple of years back, Sam Goodman's book, Safety Sucks, opened my eyes uh, as to the what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and I began to interview people, safety and health advisors, and pretty much uh, what he talks about in that book is, is mainstream. Uh, and it occurred to me that 
Um, and then I was mentoring a lot of young professionals through my work with wise women in safety excellence and the ASSP who would tell me that they were not prepared to uh, handle the people issues. So, uh, and that's what ha I was trained as a kindergarten teacher. That was my first career. And I was not trained in how to, how to uh, connect with five-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at least you know, 35 of them at a time. I could handle one, but 35 is an entire different place. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, so I think, oh my gosh, these poor young people, you know, we, <laughs> we fill them full of knowledge, uh, recipes, as Gary said, I love that. And then they get in there and they find <laughs> that they don't have the recipe they need. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think we have to rethink the whole thing. Maybe uh, the, about the only practical side of my education as a teacher was my student teacher. I had one semester of student teaching. And maybe we could incorporate that into yeah. health uh, education, a semester uh, in the field under, under an experienced mentor. I think that might help a lot. Yeah, I think, I think that's very beneficial. Um, you know, I, I, again, that we didn't have a class specific to that at Southeastern, but they talked about the importance of uh, building relationships and, um, you know, treating people like people and not numbers and, and these different things and how to connect with people. Um, what we're, we're a big part of that. And, and that is truly one of the most important things to me when I'm talking to anyone that I mentor or anyone new to the field um, is getting good at building relationships with different people. Uh, I, that is, I cannot stress the importance of that enough. Um, and I, um, I, where I did, uh, I guess, get exposed to that in college, I don't, I don't think I was, I guess, I didn't really grasp mentally how big of an aspect that would be um, when I actually stepped into the field. So I 100% agree with that. Yeah, it's a biggie. Did you, I need to talk to you offline because I've been trying to promote my book, The Relationship Factor and Safety Leadership with professors, and I haven't gotten any takers, really, uh, because I think that that would at least introduce people to some of the ways that they could um, uh, manage uh, their their people relationships. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we can talk offline about that for sure. And and it's funny you mentioned Sam Goodman. He's a he's a great guy. Uh, connected with him through Alan, who's on here. Um, got got to be on his his Hot Nerd podcast and discuss his books. And um, I thought that I was the only one that thought like that in the safety textbook, you know? And so it was like really refreshing to read that and be like, oh, I'm not the only one <laughs> that has these uh, concerns. So um, great guys, Will. Dave, I noticed that you, we, you're not on camera, on microphone, we, but you've got a ton of comments in the chat panel. We need to get you on here. <laughs> okay, come on on and share some of your great insights with us, particularly the last one about building on that chef recipe metaphor. Where are you, Gabe? You may not be able to, you know, sometimes. Oh, could be. Yeah, okay. Don't awesome. have good reception, so he will if he can. I'll come, I'll come on mic, though. Oh, there he is. There okay. you are. Okay. Hey, yeah, I don't have camera up, but I'll come on mic. So. Great, great. Yeah. Um, okay, so building on that chef and recipe metaphor, as I had said about, um, which I think is a fantastic uh, concept in there, I, a couple thoughts on that. One, I think it's important to know the recipe, uh, and then, but to also look at it with 
skeptical is the wrong word, but with an open mind, I guess, to be able to, to improve on the recipe itself. Um, I think that that's probably where, where the, uh, the safety mentoring comes into play is that many people that are coming into the safety profession will have their own unique take and their spin on how to approach it. But if they don't have the guidance and the room to exercise and experiment, um, how do we expect the profession to advance anyway? You're just, it's going to become a cookie cutter situation if that's, mm -hmm. the, if that's the case. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great comment, Gabe. And I think we've seen that kind of in the past, that, that kind of cookie cutter um, instance. Um, and that's another reason I'm really passionate about mentoring new professionals um, in the in the in the field and so I have a, I have a couple uh, mentees now that I'm, I'm trying to to uh, to mentor as well because I had great mentors professionally coming out of college and that was significant upon me like I don't know where I would be today if I'd even still be in the field um, if it wasn't for those people so um, I try to, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, give back, I guess, to mentor the, those new professionals and, and really allow them to experiment, like you said, um, ask questions, bounce ideas off um, in different scenarios. And I don't think there's really one way to reach any certain goal. You know, you may you may fall down three or four times, but getting back up and, and changing route to get to the top of the mountain um, is uh, you know what we want to what we want to produce rather than cookie cutter. This way is the only way, right? So I, I think that's very very important, Gabe. Yeah, Peter, go ahead. I just got like for the recipe to blend. So blending. So I guess this is go back to what I just part of my background, but you know I think it changes with each. So your boss, so whether it's your plant manager or whoever you're, you're, uh, you know, you report to, you know, so perfect example, this last place I was working at, uh, the gentleman that hired me, he retired. Well, then the guy that took over the job was, <laughs> was a guy that him and I clashed all the time because he used to be the production manager. And then he wasn't much on the safety part or the environmental part. And then he became my boss. So I'm going, oh God, I'm going like, am I looking for another job or, you know, you know, what's going on here? Right. So, uh, and yeah, I had to go in and talk to him. Like I had a blunt conversation with him, you know, and, and, uh, I said, you tell me now, right. I mean, do you, I mean, I'll do the same thing I did for our previous boss. I mean, that's to, you know, keep you out of jail or whatever, or, you know, do all that stuff. But he said, fine, but I mean, uh, you know, but it's, so what I'm trying to say is that I think depending on the personality of people you work with, whatever, you know, the recipe changes, right? So, cause you have to deal with that, uh, you know, the psychology of that person, the way he sees things, right? And, and, you, and you have to have a, an intuition too of what they really want and, you know, how you can apply yourself. And, you know, and I think this job is thankless at times because going back to, you know, fingers get pointed at you, you know, if, if things happen, but, you know, again, it goes back to, do you have everything in place? Do you have the training in place? Do you have this in place? You know, so that's why I think if, when you go back through the whole thing, and if you really look at, if you've got all the steps in place and they can't point the finger at you, but I mean, I know, and Chance, you're right. And you've, I mean, sure, it's happened lots of times. And I, you just go like, well, here's everything we've done. So you can't. You can't help it if somebody does something 
I'm going to say it stupid or whatever, right? I mean, you, you know, you can't fix stupid. So, you know, and uh, so, you know, I, I think that's something that people, when you go to mentor that, uh, I've had some younger people in over time and, you know, I try to tell them, I says, you got to be able to read the room, right? So, you know, and that's part of, you know, this job too, is because you really are out there by yourself, right? As much as you, you know, you're, they're all going to be pointing fingers at somebody and if you got environmental health and safety, you pretty well cover everything in a, in a <laughs> process. So you're, you know, so that's okay. That's my take on it. But. <laughs> yeah. The, thanks for that. I agree. I think uh, it kind of goes back to the, the profession being ever changing. I think even in the, the setting is it ever changing, right? You have one boss. Now you got another boss in two months. Cause that one retires. Uh, again, you know, maybe you're, you're trying to pitch something to get it done. And that guy was a numbers guy and this guy is more relationship driven. And so you got to, you got to change on the fly. So I, I completely, completely agree with that, Peter. So let's talk a bit about chefs because my understanding <laughs> that chefs basically learn the principles of cooking. So I'm trying to connect this with the principles of safety because I didn't really know what the principles of cooking were until I read this book called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat. Then being an engineer, I realized that cooking was all chemistry. So I, I get this now. So I would think part of this idea, Peter, of the recipe is that sometimes your recipe has ingredients, and then you realize, oh, I don't have that ingredient. What do I do, hmm. right? So the chef goes, well, you can substitute this. Mm -hmm. So my question, therefore, is I, I'm assuming that most of us on this call are probably chefs. So is, is it our responsibility to contact these college instructors and professors and enlighten them saying, your book is 20 years out of date. You need to buy Rosa's book. You need to buy Sonso's book. Is that up to us? Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? I, you know, I... I... There is a, a very good point behind that question. And uh, I can speak like for me, for this book that I just released, I reached out to many of the universities and, and tried to get them to use them in their entry level um, classes. I did have, I think I reached out to 40 and I had one taker. Wow. Um, so, um, so I, you know, it, it is something that I proactively tried to do. Um, and, and I, you know, I also suggest other books, not just plugging my own to, uh, to those. Um, but, but I am, um, I, you know, I did try to take the initiative with that. And I do think that, is it all on us? No, I mean, of course not. I think as a institutional leader at your, you know, EHS program or whatever, you know, it should be reviewed and, and uh, some of those should be introduced. And I'm not saying that I'm not in all saying that uh, these programs aren't doing that or aren't doing it well enough. I'm just saying that, that yes, it, it can be both ways. And I think it should be both ways. I think we should reach out, especially if you've got a connection, let's say to your alma mater, um, or maybe, maybe you're even um, uh, like a, uh, a part-time instructor there and you're like hey what about this book you know can we can we implement this one um so yeah i think i think it should go both ways but that's a, a very important um you know discussion to have yeah well let me ask you ellen if you don't mind because you run a podcast 
Have you, what's your experience in trying to reach out to some of the academics and some of the colleges? Are you, are you having a lot of traction there? It, it all depends. Being here in Tennessee, I work a lot with the people from University of Tennessee in Knoxville. So as they're getting their 500, their 510, and they're going into the program, uh, I'm fortunate that some of the teachers there, because of being a local consultant, having worked for Department of Defense, uh, interviewing Chance and Sam Goodman and others, uh, they do listen to what they have. And that's uh, putting the message. Um, a lot of the clients I'm dealing with in Tennessee that are going to University of Tennessee, they're going to Murfreesboro, taking these programs uh, because of the high demand right now for safety. A lot of the safety people are leaving. And so the colleges are trying to take tradesmen and not just tradesmen, but some of the older generation, nurses, people that are involved with safety, uh, teachers like Rosa that have the capability to communicate the message out. And that's one of the big things. When I took Chance's book, after I read it and interviewed him, I sent it over to UT, uh, to the people in the workplace. So they suggested that, but they asked, you know, how do we get the people that we're trying to get out of the trades? And right now here in Tennessee, a big thing is all the transitioning military. They're back from Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, trying to get them involved in some of that. And they're looking at safety for the same thing Chance puts in there. Uh, we're going for the higher education. We've seen uh, combat construction. We've seen rebuilding things. But, you know, one of the, the holdups was having a program in place of Chance's book actually gave him, hey, if, if I don't have the educational experience, this is what I can do. I can go to these groups like Safepedia. I can go to U.S. safety professionals and get trained by people that went through this education that understand it and can promote it that way. But it, it is, it's spreading. It really is, Gary. Yeah. And Gary, I'd like to put in the question here about how about leveling it up so organizations, associations, et cetera, if we could harness the power of those going to the universities, what about that idea? Sure. Because they hold weight, right? Mm -hmm. I would say so, Tamara. Yeah. But what some of them are concerned about, depending on, and Chance and I see this a lot of time on the U.S. Safety Professionals Group, that, that's a great idea. But a lot of people that are coming into safety now, they don't know what kind of safety. They're, they're applying for like nine or ten different jobs, not even knowing if it's a good fit for construction, general industry, yeah. environmental. Uh, and some of them have some really great backgrounds, but they don't follow the ASSP or something like that because they don't know where they belong. So that is a good idea, getting them to promote it, uh, because a lot of your, your biggest safety professionals right now in the industry are actually HR managers. Mm -hmm. They're having to wear dual hats. So this kind of information going to HR personnel that are filling both those gaps, they're going to ASSP or uh, some of these other groups like that. That'd be a huge thing for them because they're having to fill those two roles. Books like this are giving an idea. I don't need to know everything about construction this. I need to know what's in my facility. And they go to the bigger organizations to find out about it. Yeah. Anybody else with some thoughts on this? That sounds like a, it might be a good business to become a, a connector between uh, safe, new safety professionals and jobs because um, so much of the stress and discontent that, that uh, I have heard has to do with a bad fit. Uh, 
with that job, right? They thought they were going to be doing one thing and they end up doing something else. They don't feel appreciated. Um, and that, that's a whole, you know, management thing of not knowing how to manage. But, but yeah, I agree. It's, uh, uh, in fact, uh, Gary it helped me proof one of the chapters in my book where I'm, I'm, my new book coming out where I'm talking about the unused potential of health and safety professionals. There, there's all this talent and commitment, mm -hmm. desire to help. It's a unique, it attracts a unique type of person. Well, I shouldn't say unique, but a certain type of person that, that gets attracted to helping others. And they need to be treated uh, differently than a tech person, but nobody educates the managers either. So. Maybe that's another thing uh, that we have to work on, not just the education of safety professionals, but the education of the business management uh, curriculum. Yeah, I, I, I think that's important. Um, I, you know, and, and that kind of goes back to the structure, the way I wrote this book. I kind of wrote it in the way that hopefully like line managers and stuff could read it and, you know, find some applicability in that as well. Um, on uh, so not just for EHS professional, I know it's geared toward that, but there's some some things that stand out that you know that are applicable to a lot of different um, people in the workplace. Um, Gary, do you mind if I address Gabe's question and the comments? No, this is yeah, it's open. Go ahead. All please. right, yeah. So, Gabe, uh, your question about safety professional college programs um, and are there more college with formalized programs around health and safety? There definitely are more than 10 years ago. Um, when I was researching who to reach out to uh, about my book and, you know, kind of establishing partnerships, um, there were many universities that I did not know um, had, you know, EHS programs. So I've definitely seen that number grow in the last 10 years. I would say it's even going to grow more. Um, there are a lot more formalized programs. And I think even a lot of those programs are searching for those accreditations. Maybe they've been around for a while, but they haven't been accredited. And now they're searching you know, to get accredited. Um, and, uh, and shout out to the University of, of Finley and Finley, Ohio. That was a program that I had, didn't know that existed. And, and they're the one that partnered with, with my book and I got to speak to them. And, and so I'm thankful for that opportunity. But I, like I said, I didn't know that that program existed. Um, it wasn't until a couple of years, uh, a couple of years ago that I didn't even know one in my own state existed um, at Northeastern Oklahoma State University. And so that they have a program. So yes, I think we're seeing um, more and more of those uh, official kind of formalized programs uh, pop up. Yeah, good, good. Just, just to head back to the book, in, in one of your chapters, your um, later chapters, you, you actually um, take in the advice that you've got from others, and you've generated uh, several practical tips on becoming successful. Uh, I think the first two define what humble means to me. Know what you don't know, and don't be afraid to ask for help. There's one, though, I think I'd like to shed more light on. Indemnify yourself. It kind of goes back to the beginning when we talked about the possibility of becoming a scapegoat mm -hmm. of a major incident. So how does that ESH professional covers one's arse? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I actually get this quite a bit uh, because of that section in the book. Um, 
but it, you know, in simple, simple terms, it's uh, maintaining a paper trail, right? Um, you know, and and to preface, not every conversation needs an email follow up, right? Um, but there, I mean, there are conversations where maybe you outline something um, specifically. Let's just say for a regulatory agency comes on site and they do an audit, they find something. So you're working with site management team to get that corrected. You have a phone call. Well, if you have a phone call asking them to do something, there's no proof that that was asked unless the phone call is recorded, in which most cases it's not. So it's as quick as simply following up with an email stating, hey, per our phone conversation, um, could you implement this item that let's just say OSHA found on site? That way you've got a paper trail saying, hey, I worked with the management team and told them like, this is, this is what we need to do. Um, kind of left it up to them to uh, best figure out or work together to best figure out, you know, how to fix this issue. Um, but I did address that it needed to be done. Um, that way, if for whatever reason that issue is not fixed and there is some significant event, you can't be the scapegoat because uh, you have that paper trail stating that you told them to do this. So again, you've got to be cognitive of the situation. Um, again, not every phone call deserves a, a follow-up email, um, but there are those that 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 definitely do um, deserve those. And, and so that was something I was taught in at Southeastern. Um, and they, they said it many, many times over. I'll never forget that. Uh, they use a different word instead of ours, but uh, that's a, that's a good one as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's important. It was important for, for me to, to input in the book so that um, professionals understand um, how to protect themselves. Great. Okay. Well, there, there seems to be, and we maybe we touched upon it briefly about um, certifications, but there seems to be a lot of certifications from various safety bodies. So can you just kind of like tell us what's out there and your viewpoint on what sort of certifications we should be looking at? Yeah, so this is a, actually a question that Alan and I see probably every day on U.S. Safety Professionals Facebook page. Um, you get, you know, what what certifications should I should I uh, go after? What should I get or look into? And really, you know, it's kind of hard to tell without knowing uh, the the person's background and end goals because there's just so many out there. I mean. You know, if you plan on working in, you know, utilities for a while, then the certified utility safety specialist may be the route to go, right? Or maybe if you're working in construction, then the CHST may be the route to go. So there's a lot of different routes. There's a lot of different certifications that are specific. Um, again, you know, technically they're not required for any position, but you are seeing um, at least in the preferred section of most uh, job uh, descriptions of wanting these certifications. And the the, really the ones that I see the most um, asked for on job descriptions are those uh, by the Board of Certified Safety Professionals or BCSP. So things like the ASP or the CSP, the Certified Safety Professional, and then also the CIH or Certified Industrial Hygienist. That's another one that's that's pretty big on those lists. Um, and, you know, in, in governmental contracting and NASP is really big. 
Um, and, and so you may see a lot of, uh, you know, people with those NASP um, certifications as well. Um, again, it's not, uh, you know, if you're looking just specifically to land a job, um, I would say, and this again is personal research, what I've seen is the VCSP is the most list on, on desired on job at, uh, job descriptions and, and application requests. Um, that's not saying that, you know, they're any better than NASP or anything like that. And in fact, I have uh, multiple certifications from multiple certifying entities um, just because it, it allows you to become more well-rounded, I feel like personally. So stuff that's on the CSP test that I passed, um, you know, it may focus more on, you know, the, the uh, I don't know, industrial hygiene or a situational things to where I'll, I'm also a certified safety and health manager um, certification to where that may focus on a different aspect of safety. So, you, you know, when you're studying, you study a different aspect. Um, are certifications the, the end-all, be-all? Uh, no, uh, you know, I don't think they are, but they are becoming more recognized, and I think companies are um, desiring those that are certified, and it's a great way to expand your knowledge, right? You've got to earn those continuing education units, so CEUs that everybody, you know, talks about, and so uh, it just uh, it's just a way to make sure that you're continuing to go to these conferences, attend these you know these meetings or webinars and things like that. So you continue to learn and um, you know continue to grow yourself professionally in the EHS field. Right. Like one of the fun things I like to do when I go to safety conferences, for that matter, any conferences, when you meet in the lobby, then you exchange your business cards. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking at which business card has the most abbreviations after that letters <laughs> yeah some people have the whole alphabet yeah. behind it yeah and, and someone i recognize oh yeah all you have to do is just pay an annual fee i changed those four initials so i kind of right. like eh. <laughs> so that one there okay good well we're coming up to the top of the hour um I'd like to give you an opportunity then to uh, maybe lead our audience and thank you everybody for really participating. What would you be your three takeaways that you would like to leave to help spread the word? Yeah, so uh, number one, I think uh, the profession is evolving. I think, you know, when I first started and if actually, you know, in fact, my first company, uh, we we replaced a group of safety cops. And so they were not well liked at the company. Um, and so when I came in, it, it was a, it was a weird dynamic of having to change that culture around. Um, and uh, really we were working on kind of the safety differently kind of aspect, uh, you know, human organizational performance without actually knowing, you know, that was, you know, the term for it 10 years ago. So, um, but you're, but I think you've seen the, you're seeing the profession evolve away from the safety cop mentality and kind of to um, that human organizational performance and, and building capacity into systems and stuff like that. So um I think now is a great time to, to, to kind of jump on the bandwagon if you're coming from a, maybe one of those IT careers or whatever your background you're, you're, you know, you have, uh, I think now is a great time to jump on the EHS bandwagon. Um, but I, I think one, another thing is that's huge for me is, is the relationship aspect. And, and I can't, you know, I can't drive home enough the importance of 
being good at building relationships um, and inspiring employees, um, you know, getting their feedback on, on a, a, and involving them in a lot of different things, you know, just treat them. You know, one thing that I did when I first started when we were trying to, uh, to change that culture was I spent each day with a different po- person at lunch. Uh, whether they wanted me to or not, <laughs> you know, some people like to be alone, uh, but, uh, but whether they wanted me to or not, you know, I, I would ask them about, you know, themselves or families, just treat them like a human, have a, a genuine conversation with them. Um, and that, that went a lot further than, than, than I could have ever imagined. Um, and so I can't stress enough the importance of building relationships with employees. And then finally, it's just uh, being humble knowing what you, what you don't know, um, being, not being afraid to ask for help. We, you know, um, as Peter, you know, alluded to, you know, we have environmental health and safety. That's three different things um, that we're responsible for. Some people, you know, some professions add quality into that, add security into that, you know, you got these big long titles that, but, you know, at the end of the day, we cannot be experts in every single thing. Um, and so we've got to realize that we've got to, um, understand the importance of networking in that case. So you have individuals you can reach out to that may be better or more uh, qualified in those certain areas where you lack. And then you continue to learn and build those areas. But being humble enough to know that, hey, you you don't know everything and it's better to ask for help and say you'll follow up than to give an answer off the cusp that may be wrong and could cause someone to get hurt or potentially a fatality. So those are, those are the things I'd like to leave with. So, well, Thanks, Chad. Well, we are, we are at the top of the hour and uh, before I turn it to tomorrow, uh, typically what tomorrow we'll do, we'll post this on LinkedIn, the video recording, as well as on YouTube. And I really encourage everyone here is use your networks and let's get the word out, particularly on this particular show, because I really feel it's, it's, going, it's up to us to get the word out. Right. that things have to change and maybe it starts with us. Yes. Can I say one more thing? Sure. So I, at the beginning of the year, I'm starting a, a podcast called New to Safety. So anyone that's new to the field, I, I would um, just ask you to join and listen in. Uh, I plan on having guests like Sam Goodman, like Alan um, on the on the show um, and, and just really geared towards helping those professionals, no matter how they come into the field, but those that are new to the field. Rose, I'd be interested in having you on to talk as well. So, um, so yeah, starting at the beginning of the year, I'm, I'm looking to, to start that. And, and thanks to Safeopedia for having me on today. This has been fantastic, and I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> thanks, Farrah. Over to you. Well, thank you, Chance, for coming on and sharing your knowledge today. And thank you, Gary, for, you know, as a community member doing all this, we greatly appreciate it. And to our audience, thank you for coming out, because without you, we wouldn't even have this show. Now, I have dropped the link to connect with Chance into the chat, as well as the link to view his book. So thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care.